0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
1: Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Paragons of Earth, the exciting new superhero comic I'm working on with Thomas DJ and Eric Johns. For this comic, we've unearthed a number of obscure and forgotten Golden Age superheroes, plucked them from the depths of the public domain, and completely redesigned and reinvented them for the modern day. It's an exciting cast of characters, and we're throwing them up against the threat of a Lovecraftian apocalypse. It's got action, it's got drama, it's got alternate dimensions and alien worlds, and it's even got a giant shark in a Hawaiian shirt. What else could you want? But in order to make this comic a reality, we need your help. The comic is crowdfunding now, and you can help support it by going to crowdfunder.com slash Paragon's that's crowdfunder, without the E, slash Paragon's Comic. You'll be able to find that link in the show notes, so please double check if you didn't quite get it. Please help make this comic a reality. We are counting on your support. And now, on with the show.
2: Yet you have returned to reason with me once again. My son, I have tried to anticipate your every question. This was one I. I'd, I'd hoped you would not ask. My attachment. Um, the feelings which I have developed for a certain human being have deeply affected me, Father. You cannot serve humanity by investing your time and emotion in one human being at the expense of the rest. The concepts are mutually exclusive. And if I no longer wish to serve humanity? Is this how you repay their gratitude? By abandoning the weak, the defenseless, the needy, for for the sake of your selfish pursuits? Selfish? after all i've done for them will there ever come a time when i've served enough at least they get a chance for happiness i only ask as much no more yours is a happiness the fulfillment of your mission the inspiration you must have felt you must have felt that happiness within you my son surely you cannot deny that feeling no i cannot any more than I can deny the other, which is stronger in me, Father. (laughs) So much stronger. Is there no way, then, Father? Must I finally be denied the one thing in life which I truly desire? If you will not be, Kalel, If you will live as one of them. Love their kind as one of them then it follows that you must become one of them.
1: Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And welcoming back another another returning guest. And man, it's been a long time since we chatted. Nick, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing quite well, Perry. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm glad you reached out to... To say, hey, have you thought about what you want to do next? Because I actually was, and I just hadn't reached out the other way. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it's been a while. It, it was crazy when we were talking just before we just got off um, before we started recording and how, how long it's been since the last time we 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 had you on the show. And it, it feels it doesn't feel like it had been that long ago. And then I realized, like, man, I got to reach out to Nick and see if he wants to come back on.
3: Yeah, I can't think of how long it was specifically, but I know listeners, I'm sure you can look back uh, to, you know, whenever RIPD was last posted, and that will Mm. be the length of time approximately uh, between this episode and that one, so.
1: More or less, yeah. Uh, So, how you doing? Good, man. uh, Sorry, I just, uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about, remind people who you are since it has been a minute.
3: Sure, sure thing. Uh, yeah, so I am uh, Nick Baldwin. I'm uh, at Nick Loves Movies, and I see L U V Love uh, on Twitter and Instagram and all the many many social apps now these days. But my wife and I host a podcast called In Love with Movies, uh, which we've been happy to have Perry on in the past before as well. So we talk movies over there, and then we talk about relationships and just sort of uh, get to know each other and get to know our guests through our love of movies and uh, our experiences in relationships. And as you you and I were just talking before we started recording, that nature of that podcast may start to shift towards uh, parenting over the next year or two, since my wife and I are expecting our first in March.
1: Good. Congratulations on that again, uh, which again, we were talking about that off mic. Um, yeah, and me with, with, uh, with two of my own, I'd be happy to come back on and <laughs> talk more about that stuff.
3: I'd love that. Yeah
1: um and yeah it, it's a great show you guys should listen to it uh the thing that i that i love being on it was was getting a chance to talk to danny because uh one of the things that a lot of people who've been on the show say like yeah nick's great but man danny's so much fun
3: yes that is that, that's kind of uh that's my experience as well <laughs> she's the talent and i'm the i'm the the, the the editing and everything like that i'm just there to let her shine so <laughs>
1: Um, uh, So we do have a good movie to talk about today, which is uh, unusual from most of the times you've been on the show in the past. Uh, But before we get to that, uh, what are you kind of interested in lately? What's been grabbing your attention?
3: Yeah, uh, so actually, um, lately I've been playing, so those who follow me know I'm a video gamer, and I've been playing a lot of uh, Jedi Survivor. I don't know if you've played that one yet, but uh, the Cal Kestis, uh, two, two, two games in the series, and so I'm about halfway through that, I think, and... Yeah, that's been my video game time. And then today, since Danielle happens to be out of town visiting friends, I've been watching uh, what's posted so far of Generation V, the new uh, The Boys Amazon spinoff show. Uh, So more of that uh, superhero stuff with a side of uh, hefty helping of gore and uh, sexual situations.
1: (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I just I didn't realize that that had... That it was even being made. I had, somehow that had just completely fallen under my radar, and then I was on YouTube and I'm looking at a bunch of trailers and catching up on stuff, and I saw Gen V. I'm like, all right, let's see what this is. And then I'm like, wait a minute, that's a Homelander statue. I'm like, and then I realized it's a it's a boys spinoff. So um, I haven't checked it out yet, though. But I have. Um, uh, it does look pretty interesting. I've been hearing some good stuff about it since it came out, so I am looking forward to getting to that uh, soon. But for me, what I've been into, uh, and you mentioned the the new Jedi game. I haven't played that yet. Is that on PS5?
3: It is. It is. Um, that's And that's how I have it. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm that's behind. That's the speed. reason why. Yeah, I've got to. I still have to
1: get a PS5. So, um, And I've been, I've been watching the prices. Yeah, I've been watching the prices, waiting for them to come down. And, um, and you can do all the PS4 stuff on the PS5. So, I think I'm just going to sell my PS4. And mm. use it to fund the PS5 when it gets to that point, but you know they've they've got that game. You've got um, Spider-Man Two coming out. They've got uh, the Wolverine game coming out, and uh, oh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. So when I saw the latest trailer for Rebirth, I told my wife, "I'm like, I have to get a PS5, you know, in the next year." <laughs>
3: yeah and final fantasy was never uh my big thing but i know it's a it's like obviously a huge franchise and i think final fantasy 7 is the one that was like i actually did play on the original playstation mm-hmm. back in the day with a friend right because that's cloud i think isn't it yes yeah yep okay yeah so i'm sure their retelling of that will be fantastic too
1: yeah well this is the second part like the first part came out on the ps4 like well like two or three years ago now. Um, and it was amazing. It was like, it covered like the first um, up to the end of Midgard. And at the end of it, like it for the most part of the game, it's just kind of like they're retelling the story. I'm like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. You know, nothing really different sure. now, but it but it's cool to see it in the updated graphics. It's cool to try the new battle system and all that. And then when they got to the end, there was a twist and it, complete, and it, and it started getting very meta and it started playing with like the idea of time and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, so it's not just a straight remake. They're, they're playing around with stuff and so it, it's really cool
3: awesome that does sound neat so yeah. i'm so looking up.
1: forward to that <laughs> um but what i've been interested in lately is last night i saw the premiere of loki uh season two okay yep which was Watched
3: uh from uh from the conference i mentioned so yes continue
1: yeah that was a lot of fun i love seeing uh keihu kwan <laughs> as uh as ob and he was probably my favorite part of the of the show so far
3: easily
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that that's pretty much it for me that and i also i've been reading um on a recommendation from uh uh, uh my buddy's podcast anthony desiato uh superman red and blue um, okay they had covered that a while ago and I finally picked it up on sale and started reading it and immediately started falling in love with it. It's this great collection of like just these standalone Superman stories, all of them colored in shades of red and blue. And it's just a really cool exploration of the character. So if anyone hasn't checked that out yet, I definitely recommend seeing that.
3: Yeah. I'm going to have to start exploring more. Um, I recently got a, and iPads so that we could watch more like uh, uh, stuff like that when we're traveling and, and, and TV shows, but also so that I could read more uh, of my comics. Cause I think you and I've talked about this before the experience of reaching the point where your floppies, as much as you love them, are taking up too much room. Um, and so you have to start <laughs> moving into the digital sphere and being a little bit more selective about, uh, about what you take. So.
1: Absolutely. Yes. It, it's, it's, it's difficult to, um, to keep up with, with stuff when it's, And especially me here being in Japan, not only the size issue, but just like access issues. Like I can't get comics delivered here. It costs more to ship them than it would for to actually buy the comics themselves.
3: Which is bad enough because they're getting expensive these days.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they are. They are. Um, But anyway, that's a that Superman Red and Blue is a nice segue into talking about today's movie. And it's also pretty cool timing because this is the first episode that we're back on after uh, I took out brief hiatus with the scp classic and the show started off years ago with a discussion of superman the movie and today as we come back after hiatus we're finally talking about superman 2 so um that's going to be what we're going to dive into today so nick first off why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with superman um.
3: So first off, I have to say, I am feel honored. I did not realize that was going to be the case uh, with the timing of this, and that's fantastic. I'm super excited, super uh, honored to be a part of that. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more of those classic episodes that you curate uh, as things go on since I'm also an avid listener. But my history with Superman is I think like a lot of people of our generation, I really can't remember a time when I don't remember Superman like existing somewhere in my consciousness. Um, and for me, that's largely the 1978 movie originally. Uh, and as I was thinking about this movie, Superman 2 and others, I realized I So that I was born in 87. Yeah, that sounds right. And so if this was an, out in 80, you've got Superman 78 that like, they were existing, right? They were to the point where 10 years later, they were playing together back to back on, you know, the cheap uh, TV channels. So actually, I in my head kind of jumbled these two movies together. Like, they just kind of coexist, and there are scenes, um, you know, of Zod and things of that nature that, like, in my head exist in the first movie, even though they don't. Uh, And it's just all mixed and mumbled together. So that's my history with the Superman sort of mythos. And I'm also someone who happens to be personally very much uh, I'm inspired and most interested in. The sort of version of Superman that I think we see in the 78 movie, you know, through comic history, especially, there's been some changes. There's been some cool, interesting explorations. You know, you've got your Superman red and blue, which I haven't read, but I know is a sort of difference of his powers and things of that nature. And you've also got, you know, some some cool explorations. But the one I the one that I identify most with is sort of the the Captain America esque, the, you know, truth, justice in the American way, the the everyman, the golly gee whiz, the social warrior who can, you know, stand up to the worst evil forces in humanity, but because he's literally Superman, he can just do that and has the strength to do so. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my personal preferred Superman.
1: Uh, so I just want to make a note for, um, so the Superman red and blue thing that collection I was talking about, it's not connected to the the split when he had the energy powers. So just, <laughs> just want to clarify, I'm not talking about, I went back and read the energy powers thing. No, this was a, it's a recent, uh, Collection just a bunch of like short comics featuring Superman and classic Superman, classic powers, all that. So it's not anything from the from that from that thing. So I just wanted to make that bit of clarification. But uh, like you, I also don't really remember a time when Superman has not existed. Um, I had my family had Superman the movie on VHS and I watched that tape so many times the damn thing broke. So that gives you a sense of like how much that character meant to me as a kid. Um, actually, when we're coming back now, uh, it, it's funny. You said it, it, we actually did not intend for <laughs> this to be the first episode. We had had another one scheduled to record yesterday, but uh, that guys had to reschedule. So it just all kind of coincidentally worked out where we're talking about Superman two for the, for the comeback. It
0: was um, meant-
1: but, it was meant to be. Absolutely. Yes. And, and uh, yeah, I had, um, we didn't have Superman too, like, so, but I had seen it on TV and stuff like that. I'd seen it on rental video and all that as a kid, but I didn't really have like clear memories of it. I had like jumbles of images, just like you were saying too. And I don't think it was until I was in high school that I actually sat down and watched it and put it all together for the first time. Like after years but i had gone through kind of a phase where i think a lot of comic readers probably do where when you're a kid you think superman is really cool and then when you get into and then when you get into the teenage years you're just kind of like oh man superman's so lame batman's the cool one yep. um and and then eventually i came around again big part thanks to my late co-host uh Derek ferguson he was you know he was a big superman fan i was talking with him at the time and also um One of my teachers, uh, Bernie Gersmeyer, who's also been a guest on the show, talked about, you know, was a big Superman fan all throughout high school when I was in high school. And so that kind of made me say, like, let me go check it out again, which happened to be like the Loeb Kelly era of Superman, which was which brought me back into the fold and made me a fan of the character all over again. So I had gone through that kind of evolution with him and. I still love the Christopher Reeve version, but nowadays I'm thinking that Tyler Hoechlin on Superman and Lois is probably my favorite version of the character.
3: I can understand that. I actually am partial to my memories of Brandon Rabb, uh who, you know, listeners may know actually from uh, you know, I th- that's the name of the actor I think who plays, you know, uh the character on uh oh god, DC Legends of Tomorrow, but you know, he also played Superman oh, Brandon, in uh, Brandon Routh. Ralph. Thank you. I said, Rab. Yeah. I think that's actually a kid I knew in high school. Um, yeah, Brandon Ralph. Uh, yeah. And you know, I actually really enjoy Superman returns, uh, which actually co- coincidentally has kind of a, an interesting tie to this movie in some ways, which we may or may not get into, but, uh, yeah, I like that. I, I mean, and I think it's like, it's the Christopher Reeves, but I don't know, just something a little bit more. And it might actually, it, honestly, especially after my rewatch today, cause I was watching, uh, this one today, I'm like, just feels dated. Like, I mean, I really like Christopher Reeves. I like what he, you know, the, the kind of like version of the character as it's written. And I think he did a good job, but it just feels a little too dated for me at this point. So.
1: No, I definitely understand that. And yeah, I love Brandon Routh as well. Um, you know, Superman returns definitely has problems with it, but I thought the, the one problem that it did not have was him. Like he was great. And then when we got to see him in crisis uh, on infinite earth, you know, reprising the character and, you know, really kind of embodying him. I, I made me wish we got to see like, you know, him have a longer tail as, as Superman and especially his Clark Kent. I think his Clark Kent was my favorite thing about Superman Returns because he was, because one of the things that I don't like now about Reeves' performance is the Clark Kent side of it because he's just, he's drawing too much attention to himself when he's being like this bumbling And you can't picture this guy as like being taken seriously by any newspaper editor ever. (laughs) So, and you can't, you can't picture him as an investigative reporter or anything like that. He's just, he's just over way too cartoonishly bumbling. I felt Whereas Brandon Routh is like, you know, very, he, he fades into the background. He's like the ultimate wallflower. And it's like, you never, so, you know, you know, like the famous scene from The Wire with Stringer Bell saying, like, you know, are you taking notes on a fucking criminal conspiracy? And then he tears the paper out and he throws it away. You could picture Clark Kent sitting in the background of that scene, Brandon Rouse, Clark Kent, and then just kind of like quietly moving over and picking the paper out of the out of the trash bin. And
3: nobody would have noticed. And nobody
1: Wouldn't would have, have. noticed he was there. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, mm-hmm. that's why he'd be perfect as an investigative reporter
3: cars honking at him as he's crossing the street or you know uh. tripping over a very obvious bearskin skin rug like when that happened to this one as i was watching today i because i'd completely forgotten i was like oh my god that is just ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> and yes no one would believe that person that person could not uh, melt into the back of a room so
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There are definitely some aspects. I mean, like when it comes to playing Superman, Christopher Reeve is still like the gold standard, but when it comes to Clark Kent, like there, there are other versions that I, that I definitely prefer. Um, before we get too much into it. So this movie has a lot of different versions. So which version did you end up watching for today?
3: That is a solid question. As far as I understand it, it is the theatrical cut because, uh, as I'm sure you would know, and then listeners who are Superman fans will know there's a Donner cut. I think there are, others i did not realize until i opened the package for the first time today i recently got a 4k version of all of the superman movies and it was a package deal i saw on amazon or something anyway uh i bought it thinking cool all four of the you know superman movies half of which are good uh and then when i opened it today i realized the donner cut is its own 4k in that package uh, and I had aspirations of watching both, but I did not manage to find the time with other things that I had to do today, unfortunately. So uh, the original theatrical cut uh, that starts with our uh, hero, so to speak, um, his mother—you know, sort of the the we've got Zod. And then when we're first on earth, we've got uh, the terrorists at the Eiffel Tower. That's the the version that I, I watched. And I think the beginning of the Donner cut is different. So that's something else I was going to say when I was saying I confused sort of the first two movies uh, growing up. I never owned them. And I don't think I had ever watched them from start to finish like yourself until I was at least in high school. And then where, you know, in like the end of my high school middle of whatever they the the Donner cut became a thing and then so I think half the times that I've watched this movie I've been watching the Donner cut whether I realize it or not and so now even more so there's like all of these things just sort of jumbled in my brain that are all three of these movies um but yeah that's my long-winded way of answering your question I watched the theatrical version for today.
1: <laughs> I'm actually kind of glad you did, because I did watch the Donner Cut. That's the version I have. I don't have the... I used to have the theatrical version, but when um, when I got the Donner Cut, I ended up selling it. So Because um, I do prefer the Donner Cut for the most part, although we'll get into something some places where that falls short as well. Um, but yeah, there have been so many different versions of this movie. Not only the Donner Cut and the theatrical cut, but there's also the... Um, There are different um, broadcast television versions that use uh, a lot of, uh, like, 24 extra minutes that they throw into it. So, um, like, part of that uh, unused 24 minutes was used by ABC for its version. Other versions that ABC had on had, you know, other other versions of it. The 146-minute extended cut, that was shown internationally. So... There are a bunch See. of different versions of it, and and most of them are small changes. Like with the, I think the Donner cut is probably the biggest uh, change. There's also been a um, restored international cut released by fans through a lot of fan sites that include um, uh, stuff from a bunch of different uh, international versions, and they kind of reinserted them in different parts of it. And uh, but for my part, I generally prefer the the Donner cut, and that was one that was. Almost considered lost to time, like because yep. famously for people who don't know the story here, uh, Richard Donner was shooting uh, Superman and Superman two back to back, and um, the producers of the movie were um, the uh, a father and son team, the Salkins, and they had a lot of problems with Donner during the production of the movie, and he was going over budget and over time, so they'd actually. So the way that Superman the movie ends with him turning, going back in time, and all that to save Lois, that was actually originally supposed to be the ending of Superman two. But when they had, when they ended up going uh, over schedule, he had to he had to put aside, push back the schedule for all the Superman two scenes, and he had to focus on finishing Superman the movie to get it in time for its release date. And so he decided, okay, we'll put the the time travel ending at the end of Superman the movie, and then when we get. To when we get to Superman 2, we'll figure out a different ending for that, right? We have to write a different ending for that. And then he got fired <laughs> before he got a chance to get to that part. Mm-hmm. So the we don't know what he would have done if he had gotten a chance to direct Superman 2 himself. Um, but during production, he was working with... Uh, I think he was an assistant director or something like that. Richard Lester was his name. And Lester was... Um, when things got so bad between Donner and the Salkins, Lester ended up being kind of like a go-between between them. So he'd be going like back and forth, t- trying to like. And then eventually, the Salkins got to this point where they got they got fed up with Donner and they fired him. And then they brought yep. on Richard Lester to um, finish Superman 2. Now the the Directors Guild they've got rules for director and credits and all that. So like for someone to be a director on a movie, they have to have directed a certain percentage of the movie. Mm -hmm. And the Salkins didn't want Donner's name on the movie. So they had Lester reshoot a bunch of scenes and that caused some issues too, because Gene Hackman refused to come back um, under Richard Lester. He refused to come back at all. So they had to get uh, body doubles for him, which is very obvious when you're watching the theatrical cut. Like it's very obvious when Gene Hackman is not there. They even had to overdub his voice with some very questionable Gene Hackman impersonators. (laughs) margot kidder's hairstyle changed so she's got like a different hairstyle from like cut to cut in some instances
3: noticed that when Um, i was watching
1: yeah and also um donner had a much more serious take on superman even though you know you look back on superman the movie there there's definitely some campiness in there especially when it comes to to luther and otis and all that but Mm -hmm. the the Superman stuff is played pretty straight, right? Like Christopher Reeve plays it very straight. Like that one of my favorite lines in that movie is when Lois is interviewing him, and he says, "I'm here to fight for truth, justice, in the American way," and she laughs at him, and he just looks at her like she's and like she's crazy, and you
0: mm-hmm.
3: you
1: believe his earnestness. Like it doesn't sound campy when he says that, right? Um, Lex Luther and Otis, on the other hand, you know, they camp it up a little bit too much for my taste in that movie. Um, but the Salkins liked the campiness, and they wanted more of that. So Lester had a lot of stuff in there that was very campy, like the um when when the three Captonian villains invade a, a small town.
3: Mm-hmm. Th-
1: commented in interviews about that scene, he's like, "That is like the most stereotypical view that a non-American would have of an American small town." <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. like, "It was so it w- it was just so ridiculous and over the top and." Another scene when um, Superman is this one's burned in my memory. When Superman is facing off against the, um, the Kryptonians in Metropolis, and they start um, they start blowing, blasting him with their super breath, and then there are these cutaways to like these really goofy scenes, like a woman in roller skate being blown back the other way, uh, yep. an ice cream cone falling back into a guy's face, and just like this really stupid, campy shit. It just got ridiculous.
3: I made note of that when I was watching because I had in advance sort of been like once i discovered that there was i i had both cuts in my power and had to decide which one to watch first i kind of looked for the differences uh quickly online and and so i as i went into this i was thinking to myself man this really i i'm sure we're not the first ones on the internet to say this but you get the the ties to sort of the snyder cut versus the wheaton cut of justice Mm -hmm. league there's also this distinction of there being much more Uh, Frankly, out of place uh, comedy and silliness uh, in both Mm -hmm. of the original theatrical releases in those cases. And yeah, uh, because I had that already in my mind, I was doing the same thing when I was seeing scenes like that, uh, that just absolutely ridiculous.
1: Now, a lot of people, they say that even before the Donner cut, a lot of people would say that, you know, Superman 2 was actually their favorite of the Superman movies. Which I always found baffling, because even even after I saw the Donner cut, too, I'm just, it's still, I still think the 78 version is far superior to both of these. But where do you fall on that? What do you think about this within the other Superman movies?
3: So I actually think when I was younger, I would have absolutely told you that Superman 2 was my favorite. And I think, looking back on it now, having watched it today, and knowing that at least my earlier viewings would have definitely been you know the theatricals, like we said, the Donner didn't exist even uh, you know when you and I were younger, or the versions that were playing you know on on network television. But I think now, because I have a note even in my 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 notebook for t- is like it's funny how, especially when you're a kid, story doesn't matter. how we get from one scene to the next doesn't matter. as long as we can clearly identify our good guys and our bad guys. Uh, you know you can have fond memories of said movie whereas this time I was watching it and I was like Zod is not nearly as cool as I thought he I remembered him to be um, the the cronies yeah there's just comically bad things uh, and yeah no I, I like literally looked up what I gave uh, Superman 90 or 78 on uh, letterboxd because I was like we watched it a couple of years ago for, for our podcast and I was like, what did I give it? And I was like, man, I still gave that a four point five. I think I might put Superman two now at like a three or a three point five. Like it is, granted, better from better than three and four, but it is not better than one, in my humble opinion.
1: No, yeah, I agree completely. Like, um, and I think at some point maybe I would have also felt that Superman two is the better one. But you know, over time it's just that, yeah. Superman too is, Superman is just such a, it's just like such a perfect distillation of that character at that time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and also just some of the, the stuff in here, like the the additional powers they give him,
3: like
1: the, or the weird hand laser blast or whatever that was about. I, I'm just like, every time I saw that, I'm like, what is
3: going on? Superman's got all these powers to begin with. You don't need this stuff here and i I like i was even thinking about this after the fact because so like this is i was writing down and i know you said normally we do bad movies and i was like yeah and this will be a really good one for once and i'm now watching this and being but did i pick a good one (laughs) because it's like the others where you're sort of like you can see how there was something good and the potential was there and Mm. the ultimate execution maybe didn't quite land that bird Mm. yeah like uh I don't know. Maybe maybe, I'm trying to think to myself: like, did Zod exist in the comics beforehand? I know sometimes they do weird things and they try to play with his um, his powers, but like, Zod has telekinesis out of nowhere. Superman has a forget-me-not magical kiss. Oh yeah,
1: yeah.
3: And you're just like, what? This doesn't even come in the sort of like same family. It's not even the same ballpark as all of his other powers. How did somebody think? just write whatever the hell they felt like and that everybody'd be okay with it yeah but they more.
1: (laughs) i I temporarily forgot about the amnesia kiss so thank you for reminding me of that
3: (laughs) you you might need to have your wife give you one now so you can forget Mm. it again (laughs) um but one of the things i do like about the donner
1: cut is the um well, first off, they bring back Marlon Brando, because that was another thing, is that Brando refused to have his scenes in the Lester version, so they had um, so they brought in the actress who played his mother instead. And she had done all the scenes when, like, Clark is talking about giving up his powers and all that. Um,
3: oh, you feel that. You feel that absence.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Not, yeah. <nothing>. it's... <laughs> it's It's so much better like watching this and like the Brando stuff is, you know, probably one of the one of the best restorations because you get to see all those scenes that you had missed before. Um, Although it gets a little bit confusing because the the move, the Donner Cut kind of breaks its own mythology a little bit because the whole thing in Superman, the movie and even in this movie and in the Donner Cut, when he's talking to Marlon Brando. You know, Jor-El. Jor-El is interacting with him. He's an artificial intelligence. He can respond right. to questions. But at the beginning of the movie, Lex Luthor breaks into the Fortress of Solitude and starts using these crystals. And it's, and in the in the theatrical cut, they had a different Kryptonian guy, you know, providing yes. all this information. It
0: was, which yeah, was like the- uh,
1: yeah, yeah. But this time it was it was Brando and it's like all pre-recorded and stuff like that. I'm like, wait, this doesn't make any sense now because so is it just are there two versions of, of Jor-El at the at the fortress? Like, how does he bring in the artificial intelligence one and how does he just bring the pre-recorded one? So that was kind of a weird thing that I thought. And the, it had the same problem in Superman two, in Superman Returns as well. When Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor goes back in the fortress and it's all like it's like all pre-recorded stuff. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten that piece, but that makes complete sense. And in, in the theatrical, there's almost this weird um, middle between those two, because he's playing with the crystals mm-hmm. and causes the, the librarian to show up. But then at other times he's got the mother there and then the mother's explaining things and he's sort of like asking questions uh, almost just rhetorically out loud, you know what I mean? Or to miss mm-hmm. Tesma there. And then uh, m- the the recording starts to seemingly maybe answer that but then he says things like you know did i ask the right question or oh now i've asked the right question like because then he starts kind of interacting with it but the the questions and the responses don't 100 percent match up so it's just like this weird in between the two versions of the sort of established uh canon and it just makes it even more confusing <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um one of the things I do like is the first scene we see with, uh well, there are two things I like too, um because Donner's version restores the original idea where when Superman deflects the missile into space, that ends up striking the, the Phantom Zone container or whatever it is, which again, I think is a weird thing, but and that's how they get free. So Superman inadvertently releases them from the Phantom Zone, which I thought was a, a nice little touch, right? The whole idea of like unintended consequences and all that. Whereas in this one, it's it's from the it's from the terrorists or something I believe right in the theatrical cut.
3: It's so is it a it's a missile in the Donner cut? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, So in the in the it's the the missiles from the first Superman movie.
3: Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. That yes, that makes more sense. In this one, they kind of do the same thing, um, except to me, if it's a missile that can keep flying, that's you know my brain accepts it better. This one, yeah, it's the terrorists uh, in Paris have a. Uh, hydrogen bomb uh, that mm-hmm. they're going to blow up on the Eiffel Tower, which like for just so many reasons uh, and it's clear that it's you know, it's just like, ah, we're obsessed with uh, you know, hydrogen bombs and nuclear power and things like that because it's the 70s and the 80s so, you mm-hmm. know, we can't think about anything else um, but then he like it, it it's locked in an elevator from them, and so he to save everyone, like throws that into space, and then it sort of they show it exploding somewhere in space, and the the distance is not entirely clear, but it seems to me like it has to be close, that the Phantom Zone disc is like just in Earth's orbit basically uh, and then yeah the the explosion of a uh, hydrogen bomb in space somehow you know uh, uh, reverberates to break the the phantom zone so I'm glad that you're a fan of it because that storyline I wrote I was like this is absurd what are the chances that that phantom zone would be flying by there and then also when his mother is the one who's explaining how that works and the fact that your father you know these were these criminal elements and he he we created our scientists uh created the phantom zone you should know there's only one thing that might possibly break it and it's what you would call a hydrogen bomb and it's just like come (laughs) on (laughs) Yeah. No, I, yes. I agree with you. It is ridiculous.
1: And even, even in the Donner like I prefer the Donner cut version of that scene, but honestly, I think the better way to do this is not have it conveniently flying by earth at that exact moment. Cause that is, it is comically coincidental. Um, what I think would have been better is you've got all this technology in the fortress anyway, have a device, just like in the comic books, they've, there's a phantom zone. Projector. There's a device that opens a portal to the Phantom Zone. Have Lex Luthor break into the fortress and find out about the villains, and then use the projector and release them. That would make so much more sense. And you've got all the elements right there in that scene and they don't do that very simple thing.
3: Wow. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you fixed it. You fixed it. And I think, but you (laughs) maybe explained the only reason I could think of tied to obsession with atom bombs at the time of why they did it the way they did, which is the unintended consequences element and i'm mm. with you though having it be the thing that ties back to the first movie and having it be that rocket from there as opposed to some random thing from terrorists that if they'd have blown this bomb up they would have clearly mm. been blowing themselves up as well like <laughs> um but yeah i think it's the whole like ah you know we think we understand these weapons but you know we never know what evil mm-hmm. we're actually unleashing from them um right yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm with you, Luther. In the the Fortress of Solitude, a way better way to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but another thing that the Donner cut restores is an opening scene where uh, Lois figures out that Clark is Superman. Like she's looking at, and this I'm 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 torn about this scene because there are things I absolutely love about it and things I absolutely hate about it. The okay. thing I love about it is the fact that you know we see Lois using her brain. Like she's looking at this picture of Superman. She looks at Clark. She starts drawing the glasses over Superman's picture and, and then she realizes, holy crap. And so good. Yeah. And then she shows it to, but what I don't like about it is when she then says, she's like, you're not going to let me die. And then she jumps out the window to prove that he's Superman. And then he does this and then he races down there and he makes it so that he slows her down with his super breath. He releases the, um, the awning and then she bounces off of that and falls in the food cart and he zoops, zips back up to the office in super speed and he looks out the window. And he's like, Lois, what did you do?
3: That like, is – st- so I don't know how much you remember the, the theatrical. So basically the right, same thing right. happened in the theatrical. Niagara Falls, yeah, right? I was just going to say, except there's like a Ni- Niagara Th- Falls element where she says, you know, I figured it out. I'm going to jump out of this. Uh, I'm gonna, I believe in it enough and then throws herself in the water and then he's kind of comically like – feigning that he's running, but clearly obviously not running. Mm-hmm. Any, like, you know, uh, similarly laser eyes, something to floaty. Um, yeah. If I'm remembering correctly. In my opinion. It's the yeah. same mechanism. The problem that you have with it is still there. <laughs> it's, exactly. not- it's still,
1: the, it's still <laughs> the fact that Lois is like, I get the, I get what they're trying to say, you know, Lois is so brash and headstrong that she's, and she's so solid sold on her convictions here but it still felt like like i i i have got as i get older i've got mixed opinions on margot kidder's lois lane Mm. there are times when i absolutely love her and then there are other times when i'm just like what are you doing like the the scene i hate the most in superman move the movie is still the can you read my mind thing when they're flying like, it's just when when she's um, reciting that god-awful poem in her mind, I'm just like, no, this is th- just no no dialogue in this scene. Just have the instrumental score in the background. That's all you need. Like, the, the whole can you read my mind thing is, it always makes me cringe.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's choices. <laughs> choices were made.
1: <laughs> well, especially when now we've seen other versions of Lois Lane since that are so much more... Um, you know, so much more stronger female characters like Terry Hatcher. Great for the most part, although I still have some issues with her performances as well. Like there's all definitely some like, you know, rom-com cliche stuff that she falls into and that. And, but you know, like Erica Durrance on Smallville, amazing. You know, Bitsy Tullock on Superman and Lois also amazing, even to an extent, Amy Adams, right? She does a lot of, she also has that intelligence thing. She's able to figure stuff out on her own. Um, And, but yeah, so when I go back to Margot Kidder and see her going gaga over Superman, it just feels, it feels reductive.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that that's probably a um, consequence of writers overall of the time. Um, You know what I mean? Like, that even in envisioning a strong female character, there has to be like certain things that even a strong female character is sub, you know, uh, uh, subject to. Our most recent episode of our podcast, we were covering The Godfather, which I'm sure you know is penned by Mario Puzo, the same person who wrote the screenplay for both Superman 1 and Superman 2. And long story short, he isn't the best for female characters having depth so when you compare them maybe to the godfather actually uh you know lois lane is <laughs> next level uh and i'm not surprised that he still makes her fall into certain tropes of hysteria and uh you know rom cominess so
1: well actually mario puzo and i'm not sure how much of this is um you know, apocryphal or how much of it is true, but what I heard was that he had a gambling problem, and so he wrote, he took the job to write the Superman movies because just to, to to get out of his gambling debts. And apparently, they had to like lock him in his hotel room so he wouldn't go down to the casino and gamble while he was writing them when he was writing the script. And um, but a lot of what he wrote was apparently not very good. Like apparently, it was like very campy, and they didn't really like it. Um, but because he's Mario Puzo, he kept the screen credit. But most of this movie, from what I understand, it's actually Tom Mankiewicz is is most of what you see in the finished products.
3: OK, I don't even think I remember seeing that as one of the names in the credits, officially no, speaking. He's I don't think he's credited.
1: Um, he's credited on the Donner cut, I think, as like a consulting producer or something like that. Um, but he's not credited as as writer, I don't believe. Like it, it's something along those lines. Like he had done a lot of rewrites to like kind of like, you know, make it serviceable. <laughs> um it's funny you mentioned The Godfather, just a side note. I'm actually gonna be covering that in my class this coming week. So um I'll have to go and listen to that episode before I do, see if that brings up any new points I hadn't considered.
3: I would love that. Yeah, my wife even brought some stuff up I'd never thought of before, so
1: Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh so that epi- is that episode out already on the on your feed?
3: Yes. That would have been the okay. start of the most recent season for us. So uh that's okay, been out for a couple of weeks now not that long
1: okay yeah i am so behind on podcasts but i'll go and check that out
3: um well, but yeah, and i hope you enjoy
1: i <laughs> think that this that the donner cut does there there's another scene they throw in there too which is actually a screen test it was like the first screen test between um, christopher reeve and margot kidder and and they insert it as an actual scene it's the scene in the hotel room when um, so part of the story is lois and clark are assigned to go undercover at this um At this uh, Niagara Falls resort, where they've apparently been bilking newlyweds out of money, and in the Lester cut, this is how. In both versions, this is how she finds out for sure that he's Superman. Um, In the Lester cut, he trips and he falls into the fireplace, and he doesn't burn his hand. (laughs) So that's what you're talking about when he trips on the bearskin rug, which I do not like that version at all. But.
3: in front of the fire so that she can uh, warm herself up after having been in Niagara Falls so you just had like a 20 minute sequence that is all him artfully-ish managing to hide it from her and then he just trips and falls and I just I can't, I can't reconcile those things because in my head it's like him e- even the bumbling idiot version of Clark we've been talking about like that is an intentional act and if uh-huh. you to be an intentional act then he doesn't trip on that thing Tr- genuinely you know what i mean like so anyway continue i'm sorry i interrupted you
1: no you're you're absolutely right and um the the version that we get in the screen test version is you know she pulls out a gun on him oh and- okay and uh so i don't know if you remember this but yeah she pulls a gun on him and he and she's like i'm sure you're superman i'm gonna prove it and he's like no no i'm not superman i'm not superman and she's like yeah you the bullet's gonna bounce right off he's like no you're gonna kill me and she pulls the trigger and the gun goes off and he just flinches and he says and he just shies he takes off his glasses and he's and she's like i knew it and he says you do realize now if you had been wrong clark Kent would have been dead and lois goes with a blank
2: oh <laughs> Which
1: I still have some issues with that because, you know, even though he's he's invulnerable, wouldn't he still feel the bullet against his skin or something like that is kind of the thing I'm going back on. But but even so, I do like that better than like the bumbling he trips and falls into the fireplace thing.
3: Yeah, I wonder if they just again, because we we were talking about it being more serious, the Donner cut like they thought that was too. They thought it was too serious because that's I mean, that's Mm. that's so. That's some heavy stuff when you actually stop and think about it. like it's it's bad enough that she's in both versions willing to kind of sacrifice herself potentially mm-hmm. but she is like i am willing to almost commit murder at least you know what i mean because i mean she, obviously she knew it was a blank and that's a really smart thing and that's very uh, her but blanks can can have problems too for one thing as we know from recent uh events but also
1: well yeah brandon lee yeah
3: yeah and you, you just don't know. Uh, and and you as a viewer still have to kind of have been in that scene with her where you think she's actually going to shoot the man. And that's mm-hmm. like a dark place to let yourself go. So um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's definitely a lighter version, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm with you. I think that sounds much more solid. And it, it's, it shows how, what great
1: chemistry they have is like, this is the first time they're appearing on camera together in this scene. And it works very well. Like there obviously there's some problems because they had to use a screen test version, so, you know, his glasses are different, he's a little bit thinner cuz this is before he put on all the muscle for it. So, which I think actually kind of works better cuz it makes you think that he's wearing like a big suit to hide that he's hide his physique or something like that. Okay. Um, can, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like that scene so much better. Uh, another thing that this does is Superman 2, the theatrical version created this long-standing idea that persists to this day in fandom that Superman can't have sex with a human woman, right? The famous conversation from mall rats, the famous man of steel, women of Kleenex essay. I think it was in playboy originally, all this kind of stuff. And, and a big, and the thing a lot of people go to is they go to the theatrical cut because Clark gives up his powers and then he sleeps with Lois. Whereas in this movie, they flip it. Right, he sleeps with her first, and then he talks to Jor about giving up his powers. Okay, and it completely takes that it completely takes that out of it, and I thought that was that was a pretty it was a pretty interesting choice for for Donner to make because I don't know if that was originally in the script or or what, but um, I thought it was interesting that he makes this commitment to Lois first, and you know they consummate their relationship, and then he decides I want to be with her, I want to stop being Superman
3: yeah I actually think I would like that better, not only because it creates, you know, like you said, a whole different uh, conversation around whether Superman can have sex or not, which obviously the comics have treated differently uh, at this point in 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 you know, sort of canon, but to me, um I think it the it almost felt like it came out of nowhere when I was watching the theatrical. It's like. We sort of establish that he cares for her in the first one, obviously, like, he, you know, he cries and, you know, wants to turn time back and on all that jazz. Uh, and then we have this, like, cute way that she's treating him in this one. But you don't really f- feel the emotion for him to sort of justify that decision, if that makes sense. Like, it's like, I'm just going to make this decision and then things happen after the fact. Versus. Oh, this is real. I have this very real relationship with this person. I'm going to now take the plunge, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's my—I don't know—American sensibilities or something like that. I've talked before on different podcasts about different versions of love and and you know committed love, romantic love, intimate love, and and I prefer the sort of establishing of intimate love first before making one's commitment. Uh, mm-hmm. And so maybe it's coming through. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it just tracks better for me that he's commit like he's sort of intimate to her and then makes that commitment in choosing to you know jump off uh and i don't just mean intimate in like the biblical sense everyone i mean like you know as a person um yeah so i definitely prefer that and and as you're citing some of these examples from the donner cut i'm more and more confident that i have seen it at some point along the way and Disp- in, uh, if it weren't for watching it today, I think I'd be completely lost in my memory of which one was which. Uh, so I'm glad that I have one fresh uh, and know exactly what was in the theatrical cut based upon what I saw today. Another thing I
1: like about the the Donner version of that scene too is when Lois comes into it, right? So in in both versions, right? You know, you've got in the theatrical cut he's talking to Lara, In the in the Donner cut he's talking to Jarell. But in the in the in the Donner version. Lois, Lois comes in and in, in both. And she's like kind of in the background there, but in yeah. the doc cut, she's wearing the, super, she's wearing Superman shirt. Like, so, uh, <laughs> so okay. I thought it was, and, and like, she's only wearing the Superman shirt. And then like, you know, she's like naked from the waist. So I thought that was another, like, you know, kind of like, you know, maybe it was a, t- they thought it was a little bit too racy for a Superman movie too, because that it yeah. further implies an added level of intimacy
3: yeah and it's like i don't know whether it had happened in the comics um obviously it hadn't happened in the in the superman sort of tv shows or, or movies by that point but even just you know they go off to bed clearly in the theatrical one and but that you don't see anything versus i think you're right like the, the the sort of coming out in a nothing but a button down shirt uh, of your gentleman is sort of the universal sign in especially mm. 80s movies. We just got it on, so uh, <laughs> um, well, yeah, you might be right. Is the uh, too risque? Yeah,
1: and actually, the, that's a good point about the comics because that wouldn't have happened in the comics by this point. Because this came out in, um, you know, they are filming it in the in the seven, in late 70s. So that was still they're still very much in Silver Age territory. Lois didn't even know Clark was Superman. That wasn't that didn't come start come to the fore, and they start getting like into a little bit more adult situations with like Lois and Clark and their intimacy. That probably did not start happening until the 90s and probably also influenced by the the aging up of a lot of the readership, but also by Lois and Clark, because they had a whole thing on the on Lois and Clark about them consummating their marriage and all that.
3: Yeah, I vaguely remember that because I was watching bits of that show, too, and that that makes complete sense for sure.
1: Um, so, yeah, I think this was probably the first time where we saw them outside of like an imaginary what if or else worlds type of story where they actually, you know, they actually consummated their relationship. So it was and that would have been, you know, a big thing for the the movies to take things so far beyond what the comics were doing at that time, because, you know, you compare it to other like now that we think about that as no big deal. Like the, the MCU movies are drifting further and further apart from, from the comics. Every time they come out, right. They killed iron man. Uh, Steve Rogers is gone, you know, all this kind of stuff. So they, they're purposely bringing it. They're finding different ways to adapt this material or even, you know, Superman and Lois is another version. The flash. they have done a lot of taking a lot of liberties with stuff, pulling stuff away yep. from the comics is they use the comics as a starting point And they just kind of go off and veer off into their own different directions. Yeah, which I think is sure. cool too. Like, there's a it's there's definite value in that as well. Um, but it is funny to go back and see like how much they were willing to break with established canon back then.
3: Yeah, it, it makes you wonder. I mean, I guess it has everything to do with it's the sort of <clears throat> reason why maybe a lot of superhero movies didn't work out well for decades. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, and, and, which is interesting. And I could, I could, but like, so it worked well in this, like one instance, but then there's a lot of other places where they just sort of, it's like, it's like any other sort of poorly done adaptation for a novel or something like that. Like somebody gets the rights and then they basically decide, okay, we have the name now we're going to do whatever the hell we want to with this property. Oh Uh, yeah previously established storylines trends etc be damned and that's how you get up like some good things uh like the idea of let's go ahead and let them get it on and have it be Mm. you know a a sort of pushing of the envelope but you also get things like let's just invent whatever power you know a cellophane Uh (laughs) hold off that can capture people because why not (laughs) Yeah, yeah i think one of the big problems with that is just like it it goes back to
1: that idea of like you know they're they're staying true to that that spirit of the characters, whereas in the in the letter version, it's just like uh we need some action beat here, so we can't really have them do a fist fight. So how about we have him throw his shield? It's like okay,
3: right? Yeah, and it it just happens like it happens so fast to the point where you would be uh, like forgiven for being completely confused about where the hell he mm-hmm. even pulled that from. Like he's sort of yeah. just like if you're it happens blinking an eye like he pulls it off of his chest but the s is still there otherwise so it's not like you know Mm -hmm. is it is it like batarangs does he have you know it's like a whole stack of them there (laughs) it's not what he always does i'm so confused (laughs) so many questions
1: well especially because it expands and it grows it's 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 so ridiculous um but going back to the the scene when he gives up his powers i do have a problem with this scene in both versions because it's this idea that he can't be Superman and be Clark Kent. Like it's, you know, mm. you have, you can't devote your, you can't ha- maintain your responsibilities and also be true to one person. I'm like, that's bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. but it's just, it's bullshit.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think maybe it's, it's our version of the hero complex. And this is something I think I've been, This is getting real personal. I'm working on in therapy. You know what I mean? This idea that to be able to take care of yourself, and that includes having a close romantic relationship that is also your support structure. It's like to have that and to have anything that's truly for you, you cannot also be the ultimate hero. Like to be the ultimate hero, you must sacrifice literally every bit of like, true happiness that doesn't come from I enjoy being altruistic and taking care of other people that is my only source of joy and happiness if I am you know quote unquote the hero yeah. uh, and oh, yeah. I, I think that's probably where it comes from but I'm yeah I'm with you I'm glad that we have sort of I also personally think maybe that comes from versions of ta- toxic masculinity in our culture and oh, yeah, the idea absolutely. that like man, just be the provider and that's the only thing and then mm-hmm. yeah we have let it go and I'm with you it's it's problematic at least yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the pro- the more I watch, go back and watch these movies. I think that's one of the biggest problems I have with it is it 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 kind of takes the human element out of Superman a lot because you know Clark Kent in these movies is just a mask. He's just this way yeah. for Clark to blend in and to keep his ear to the ground. But he, whereas you know, and a big part of that is what they were basing it on at the time that was very similar to what they were doing in the Silver Age at the time. Sure. So I understand where they were coming from with it but you know looking back on it now i'm just like i prefer the version where i thought um like my my interpretation of superman is there there are three versions of the character there's there's what i call smallville clark the real clark kent who he is when he's on the farm who he is when he's with mon pa kent who he is when he's with lois and boys in the comic in the tv show or bull or son singular in the comics um who he is with the, and there's metropolis clark that's where he's wearing the glasses he's you know he's he's keeping him himself quiet he's being buttoned down like the brandon routh clark hat, that's what i think of as metropolis clark and then there's superman right like smallville clark is the real guy both metropolis clark and superman are masks of some kind that he wears to to kind of hide who he really is
3: yes i completely agree with that interpretation 100 percent.
1: and i think yeah these movies they completely lose that that human element because it's just all superman and then when he becomes clark kent he's just all bumbling you never really get the sense of who he is as clark kent the real clark kent like that's one of the things i liked about superman the animated series one of the one of my favorite episodes of that show was the late Mr. Kent when um, Clark is trying to uncover this. um, He's trying to prove this, this guy who's on death row was innocent. He gets the proof. He he's driving out. And then the, the real perpetrator blows up his car and there are witnesses. So he can't just come out and be like, I was okay. So he has to stay hidden and make everybody think Clark Kent is dead. And then he goes back to, to Smallville to see his parents. And, Um, and they just get off the phone with the police and and Martha's like, yes, I know. I understand. My son's dead. I heard you. And then she she turns around and Clark's there at the table and, and, um, and Jonathan says, he's like, well, it's not that he's at, he's not really dead, Martha. He just can't be Clark anymore. And then Clark says to him, he's like, but I am Clark. I'd go crazy if I had to be Superman 24 hours a day.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think. I think you're right about that and being an important element too of that there is that version of him in its sincerity mm. and i think it speaks to the larger human condition and this gets at what you were saying from the start of this part of the conversation of like they remove all of the humanity from it like yeah part yeah. of the brilliance of superman is and so this is this is this is probably getting too deep also but like he's a great christ allegory literally mm. you know comes from heavens uh is the last son of the you know the father that you know wants to protect us kind of thing and has powers that no one can can understand and he uses them uh for the betterment of mankind but the sort of importance a lot of times in the christian mythology is that christ is human mm-hmm. he is made man manifest he is he is you know god embodied right mm-hmm. but it's that he is also human aspect that makes it real makes it matter it's the fact that he can sacrifice and the way superman does that is as you just described has a true version of clark that is the real him and you get to know him as a human being and the reason he cares about earth and the reason he's our sturgeon protector is because he is sort of human uh, by nurture Mm -hmm. even if not by nature type of thing. Uh, And I think once you lose that, you lose a lot of the depth to the character, obviously.
1: In fact, I think leaning on the Christ allegory is part of the problem a little bit. And, you know, I'm coming at this from an atheistic perspective, so I might be getting stuff wrong here. But my understanding is that the way he's often depicted in the Gospels is almost as like this perfect being, right? Even though he is of man, he is still very much like the perfect man. And... when you were going through that whole thing, I was thinking back to dogma and the the movie. And one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when they're all sitting around the fire and Chris Rock says, he's like, in the, in the Bible, Jesus suddenly goes from ages 12 to 30, 12 to 30. Mm -hmm. What are Mm -hmm. all the gospels dealing with the missing years of his life? You know, why Mm -hmm. don't we see anything about his relationships with his, with his parents, with his brothers and sisters? Cause you know, it's like he says, like, you know, Mary gave birth to Christ, a virgin, but she did have a husband and, you know, he wouldn't have stuck around if he wasn't getting laid. <laughs> and so it does it and it, it makes sense, right? It makes sense that obviously Mary and Joseph would have consummated their marriage at some point, And it makes sense that they didn't have condoms or birth control pills back then. So they w- that would have resulted in brothers and sisters. But and odds so, are, <laughs> yeah, and so you got to imagine, you know, what is it like? living with brothers and sisters when you're the son of God. And <laughs> how do you, and, you know, where's the, we don't really see that part of it much from my, you know, half remembered memories of Sunday school from when my parents forced me to go. Um, uh, But I don't remember a whole lot of like Jesus struggling with the, his humanity and his mission or all that kind of stuff. So, and that's from a storytelling perspective, I mean, that's maybe that's fine for, from a religious perspective, but from a storytelling perspective, that's a big thing to leave out. And I think these movies are really missing something when they leave those, those aspects of it out.
3: I completely agree with you. Uh, So I am someone who, is has always had just sort of a, a ongoing continuous up and down uh, relationship with my faith at this time uh, of this recording yes I would still consider myself a Christian there's times in my life where I definitely have not been times in my life where I would have been more sure of that statement but to address sort of what you're saying a I don't remember if it was the showrunners or just other people and analyzing it but that's one of the things I love about Smallville too is it's kind of an intentional exploration of that Twelve to thirty, right? Like, what, how did you just come out perfect, or did you wrestle with that and eventually, you know, kind of come to terms with it? And Smallville is a lot more of Clark making mistakes and sort of learning from it. And you obviously see him uh, getting to learn from uh, Ma and Pa Kent in that as well. And and so one of the some of the stories that stand out to me in terms of the gospel because they are examples of christ losing his cool so to speak or, or like the the humanity showing uh there's you know he sort of slips and and says like why have thou forsaken me father mm-hmm. you know what i mean That's right. it's yeah, that yeah, moment yeah. Of, so there's that one big one which everyone always talks about and then i remember the i can distinctly remember the the group young life a guy named bacor really great dude um but he was kind of pointing out to us like the story of there's one where he finds uh, people, like, peddling goods or gambling or something. People dealing with money in the...
1: Yeah, when the he chases the money changers out of the temple.
3: Yes, thank you, the temple. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it's, like, that moment where he's sort of like, he is not the, you know, I've got my shit together. I've got the facade of a superhero. I've got... Um, I'm yeah, able to keep my...
1: The other cheek and that, he's kicking over tables. He's breaking out whips and shit like that, yeah.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And so i agree with you that they are not more, more not as told as i think they probably should be um and and the other problem that you have and this is my problem with learned or organized religion is you're also having them interpreted by uh humans mm-hmm. who are flawed and whether yeah. <laughs> believe in the faith or not humans are flawed and mm-hmm. we like to make shit work for us and i'm arguably doing the same thing for myself right now but a lot of people like to just only talk about the perfect part and none right, of the yeah. the humanity which to me yeah defeats the purpose but Mm. we'll put that aside for another conversation um i agree with you though that that that, and that's i think something that's lost like if it is Mm. just going to be a religion okay fine we have a deity they're perfect you know deities are perfect right yeah yeah. reality is superheroes um have to be human at the same time and also i think about like gen v or the boys and we're watching that right now and it's sort of the those shows are intentionally a satirical look of like like very cynical what would happen Mm -hmm. if normal people got superpowers right right? and the beauty of having the humanity of the clark kent the the farm clark kent is he gets that that's his true power right it's Mm -hmm. not the I have all of these capabilities. It is that I have the sort of power of will to be a good human being, to to mm-hmm. want to do what's best for other people, to not use these powers to my advantage, to want to uh, defend the downtrodden. Right, and mm-hmm. we didn't see the conflict there, uh, or see sort of the what makes that. And if we just saw like, oh, you know, he's just perfect. It always happens. It's never difficult for him. Uh, I don't think. I don't think I would care as much about Superman. Yeah.
1: So well, I think also, again, that I think leaning too much on the Christ allegory is one of the weaknesses of these two movies, because we again we also have like Jor-El there who's serving in as like the the God figure of sorts. And it kind of discounts the importance that, you know, the Kents had. And, you know, with, yes. you, know, um, you know, you know, uh, my co-host Derek, he once said that he he always used to say that the greatest superhero in the DC universe is not Superman it's Jonathan and Martha Kent because they took in this refugee baby. They raised him up as if he was their own. They gave him a Mm -hmm. loving home. They gave him values. And then that's how he became Superman. Mm -hmm. It's because he was, you know, he has the powers. Yeah. But the powers aren't what makes him Superman. It's the humanity that makes him Superman. That's what makes him want to help people. And I thought, and that's what I think is great about like, as much problems as I do have with Smallville, especially the later seasons, because they started to... I, It felt a lot like they, they wanted to do a Superman show, but they couldn't do a Superman show, so they just kept throwing all this stuff in there. Um, mm-hmm. They, you know, The idea of Clark making mistakes and then learning from them, they were spinning their wheels a bunch with it because there were times when it's just like... I remember there were some seasons where I'm like, everybody on this show is more heroic than Clark is. <laughs> um, but when it came to that idea of... Jonathan and Martha, and the influence they have on him. They handled that so well, especially in those early seasons. Like you know, John Schneider, his you know, ridiculous politics aside, was my favorite interpretation of Jonathan Kent, right? He had that that whole the gruff Midwestern values thing, but he was this good man who was in, who was doing the best he could in like this impossible situation. and and then we see that an extension because I do think of Superman and Lois, in a lot of ways, as a spiritual successor to Smallville we do okay. see how much those Midwestern values that the Kents raised him with are really so much a key to his character and why he is the person he is. And we do see him make mistakes as a man. We see him struggle, like, and well, cause this actually does tie into Superman 2 I'll get back to that in a minute, but <laughs> I'm not sure. Did you see um, the last season of Superman and Lois season three?
3: Uh, n- n- no, I've not been watching, unfortunately, Superman oh, okay. and Lois, but if you spoil you, you can.
1: Okay. You have to watch it. season three was the best one so far, but you have to watch it. It's, it's I'm I'm positive you will you'll especially love it. Um but there's this one scene where there's this um you know his son uh his son John is dating this girl and she's got this kind of like abusive father, a drug dealer, something like that, and he um he steals John's truck, right? And so John steals it back. And then he comes he's like he threatens John, he threatens Lois even and because John comes to Lois first, and he tells her about it, and then she's like, "No, I'll deal with this. I don't want your father to know." She goes, and he pulls a gun on Lois, and he tells her, "Like, you know," and she goes back, and then Clark finds out, and he goes up, and he and he's about to leave the house, and Lois is like, "No, Clark, this isn't the job for Superman." And Clark just looks at her, and he's like, "He's not going." Clark Kent is going, and he goes, and he confronts him as Clark Kent, and one of the things I love is that so. And we'll compare this to the bully scene in the diners, because I, I've got some real issues with that. But yep. one of the things I huh? love is that Clark does not fight him, right? He just kind of like lets him do it and he kind of like says, like, you're gonna go now. You're gonna leave and you're not gonna come back. And he just it 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 you you can just even just look up that scene on YouTube. It is masterful the way Tyler Hoakland plays it. Um and then we have the bully scene here in the diner, where it's just so comical in both versions in both versions it's got this problem and in in this version in you know and one of the things i hate about it too is like it's fine you know we see clark lose his temper we see him be human i'm i'm all for that but what i hate about it is when lois says to him i want the man it's like because he he jokes, you know. We should maybe you should hire a bodyguard. And she's like, I don't want a bodyguard. I want the man I fell in love with. And he says, I do too, Lois. I wish he were here. And I'm just like, No, no, that is the complete wrong message about that scene.
3: But unfortunately, I think you you hit the nail on the head. That like that's the reason you and I maybe don't love it. Is mm-hmm. it? It's the wrong message of the movie. Like it, it she. Is in love with seemingly they spend more time showing how she's in love with superman than they spend time showing she's in love with clark kent and even the Clark that she could be in love with we don't really see that much of him dropping his facade of metropolis clark kent we only see uh you know maybe maybe that happens uh after he's burnt his hand or not burnt his hand and after he's not been shot right Mm -hmm. but like not a lot of law. It's not a lot of time to establish, uh, you know, a true intimate uh, partnership and relationship right, and an understanding. Right. Um, so yeah,
1: again, that is you know as many problems as I have about Man of Steel. I did think that they did handle the idea of her and Clark developing a relationship before he becomes Superman. I thought they did a much better job in that little bit of time in that movie than they did here establishing why Lois is in love with Clark, not with Superman, not with this idea of this perfect man but in love with Clark himself. And that's especially, again, going back to Superman and Lois, they establish in that, they do a background episode. They do a flashback episode where they show like, you know, they're, they kind of like do little, show bits and pieces from their relationship. And they established right from the start, Lois liked Clark. She didn't like Superman first. She liked Clark first. She was actually suspicious of Superman, which makes total sense for a reporter.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Well, you've definitely sold me. I mean, I've been listening to your love of it on your podcast of your love of Superman and Lois, and it's been on my list. I think I'm one of those people who's been holding out the hope that I was going to like, continue watching all of the CW shows Mm -hmm. uh, in relative uh, chronological order for release. And I've just reached some of the later seasons of some of the other shows that I'm like, Struggling to enjoy getting through, so maybe I just need to give that up and go skipping on over to Superman and Lois episodes because Superman and (laughs) Lois is not the
1: same continuity as those other shows. Like I I heard it's like like, yeah. So at first it was they were kind of unsure because it came out right at the tail end of the the Arrowverse stuff, and they were actually going to do a a Batwoman crossover they were planning to do, but COVID had nixed that, and so they never did the Batwoman crossover. They had a diggle appear in uh, a few episodes working for Argus but so that kind of that was the closest thing we got to establishing a link between them but then at the end of season two um uh Sam Lane Lois's father makes a point to the kid the boys he says to him he's like you know we've seen other worlds that are that have superheroes in them but on our world it's just Superman it's just your father so they established Mm. that he is the only superhero on that world um okay so yeah it, it, it's completely set apart you don't have to worry about the other cw stuff i'm still struggling with myself i'm you know i'm trying to watch the last seasons of the flash and supergirl and it's hard it's hard it's hard <laughs> but i have to convince to see finishing them at some point <laughs> yeah crisis yeah. was really like the I, I think really they should have just ended it after crisis
3: <laughs> that's what i've heard and i haven't even made it to crisis i don't think because i got okay. crisis on X, which I definitely—I watched the one with the, the the Nazi planet. You know what I mean? I mm. saw, saw that.
1: Well, you saw the uh, one and- with Brandon Routh as Superman again, right? That was Crisis on Infinite Earth. I actually haven't. Oh, no, I haven't. I haven't. okay, okay. Oh, you definitely have to see. If if only for Brandon Routh as Superman, like that. And that's is-
3: where, like that's like I'm just gonna skip all of the other trash and just sk- jump ahead <laughs> just to the just to just go
1: straight to Crisis. You don't need to watch everything else that's come before. Like there's some stuff here and there that you might be a little bit like, wait, when did that happen? What was that about? But other, but for the most part, I think you can just jump right into crisis and you'll be fine.
3: I, I more and more likely that's going to happen, but, uh, either way, I think I'll be watching Superman and Lois sooner.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so during all this happened, right, we have the Kryptonians show up and, um, it's funny you said that. You know Zod's not as cool as you remember. I think Terrence Stamp's performance is one of the things I like the best thing about Superman 2. Like I'm, I'm the, I'm going like, to disagree with you on there. I think I think he does a great job as Zod, especially when they've you know they've taken over the White House and everything, and he's bored. I love that scene when when Ursula looks at him, she's like, "You are master, you are lord and master of all you serve," and he's like as i was the day before and the day before that and as I'll, and he's just so freaking bored with the idea of uh, of rule right this idea that he's a general he's a warrior he needs worlds to conquer that's what he wants to be doing i love that and then when superman shows up it's almost like he gets excited
3: that is definitely true i would i would agree that um like i didn't mean to criticize terrence stamp's performance per se uh, I just like it like it's a relative thing right I mean I mm-hmm. I remember so cool and then it's like oh well and maybe it's because he, he you know there's not as much for him to do as early on as you think or it's the scenes of like how comically they they do away with uh the other people uh mm-hmm. but those moments his menace or I had a note too that like everyone always thinks about Neil before Zod right like mm-hmm. that gets repeated in many ways and obviously it's, it's almost like uh you know luke i am your Like, and the, so we forget that that's not actually how the line's delivered exactly, Yeah, per se. <laughs> it is stand before zod mm-hmm. so he's like telling the president or the guy that's the fake president to get up first and then says and now kneel before zod mm-hmm. and like it is fascinating to me how we remember things uh so differently but it's like it's almost like before memes were a thing it was memification of movie quotes do you know what i mean like yeah, how yeah, do you make it in a way that it gets the sentiment and, and but sounds cooler and, and becomes more popular.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny watching that movie again. It's the, when the scene with the president, and he's like, You are not the president. No man who commands so many would kneel so easily. I'm just like, Bitch, please. <laughs> I could <can> think <laughs> of a dozen presidents off the top of my head who would
3: kneel like that. <laughs> yeah, a literal super person. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're kneeling quickly. I also need to note that, like, and, and, and they addressed it a little bit later, and I realized this, but it's just such a very American thing, too, of, like, that he's kneeling on behalf of the planet, and it's like, mm-hmm. dude, you control, you know, this <laughs> one planet, yeah. <laughs> but we just always think of it as, like, oh, well, if or if Earth bows, or if America bows, then, you know, we're all, we're all bowing, whether we like yeah, it or yeah. not. It's like... <laughs>
1: especially because this is the this is the this is still the cold war going on here i'm like i mean the the soviets would have had something to say about that i'm pretty sure so i thought that was i mean even maybe it would make more sense in the 90s you know when america become the sole superpower but you know in the 70s in the late 70s early 80s you still got the soviets out there and be like uh we're not kneeling before you we still got all these nukes we can fire off
3: yeah the, and and in fact because they say they have a line in there about like, oh, America is not using uh, nuclear weapons for you know the mm. the billion casualties. Like if that became live televised mm-hmm. and nukes were an option, and the only reason we hadn't done it was to protect our citizens. Yeah, former Soviet Russia's fucking carpet bombing with with H bombs. They're going to be like, "Cool, we, you know, we, now the rest of the world will just have to be okay with us having attempted this because yeah, we may have killed all of America at the same time, yeah. but we were doing it to try to protect everyone from these superpowered beings." Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, one of the things that I thought
1: that the the Lester cut handled better was this scene when Superman appears the Daily Planet. So, you know he says that famous line in the Lester cut. He's like, general, would you care to step outside? Mm. Amazing line. And you know, you were talking about crisis on earth X car repeats that line in that, (laughs) in that show, when she talks to the, um, the Nazi Supergirl, right? She says, general, would you care to step outside? Perfect line. Great line. Very confrontational. I love that. But what they do in the Donner cut, he says, general, haven't you ever heard of freedom in the press? I'm like, come on, if you're going to leave in one thing from the Lester cut, it should have been that (laughs) line.
3: i agree yeah even though it's like because there's part of me that was like oh i bet that's supposed to be like a nod to the fact that he got his butt kicked by telling that guy he wanted to step outside with him uh Mm. in the bar or the diner which it makes me feel like yeah that's a little icky because it's the same thing but the the funny thing is especially the delivery of that line Mm -hmm. somehow like that's not even the like first full thought that comes to my head is the diner it's instead forgot about the diner actually like that you're right but i completely forgot about that part (laughs) Because it's so well delivered and it is such mm. a good line and it's done with like that sense of humor about it. You mm. know what I mean? That it's not feeling like it's an obvious nod to the, the other problem that he has.
1: Well, yeah. yeah, it's it's both at the same time. It's authoritative, but it's also a bit tongue in cheek. Like I thought and I think Reeves delivery of that, it straddles that line perfectly. Where it doesn't sound like he's putting on airs, but it also shows that he means business in this moment too.
3: Yeah, he's like in all seriousness mm-hmm. we're not gonna do this in here <laughs> let's go yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah um and you know then then we get to the and again the battle in, in metropolis here what i liked about it is they realized that you know clark cares more about the people and again this is something that drove me nuts in man of steel and i know i've said this a lot but <laughs> It still drives me nuts years later, right? We're like on the 10-year anniversary of it. It still drives me nuts. (laughs) The fact that we... And Superman Returns did this too, when he's going to go to stop Lex Luthor, but then he sees the city's in danger. He goes back and he helps all the people first. Best scene in the movie is Superman flying around, saving people in Metropolis and that. And in this too, he sees that people are in danger and rather than risking people's lives, he flies away so he can lead them somewhere else. Right. What I hate in Man of Steel is... The th- even before we get to the Metropolis scene, when he's in Smallville, they're in the middle of nowhere. He th- he drags Zod through the cornfields and then he throws him in a gas station in the center of town. And then he says, then he looks at everybody else around town. He's like, lock your doors. It's like... <laughs> <laughs>
3: You know, you just put him through a building, right? Like a locked door ain't doing shit.
1: (laughs) You just took him from the middle of nowhere and dropped him into a populated area.
3: Come on. Yeah, and I would argue that that has everything to do with, like we were saying, we were saying that these movies, the Superman 1 and Superman 2 of the the 70s and 80s, they maybe lean too hard in the Christ allegory, the perfect God version Uh of things, and that's what people want. And I would argue, like, your your case here now against in this in this instance against Man of Steel is like it goes further that way. It's like, well, we just want to see God beings beat the shit out of each other. No. The only reason I can Superman is because he's a human being. <laughs> well, that's exactly exactly
1: exactly right. Because that was the big criticism I remember from the fan community about Superman Returns. Like Superman doesn't punch anybody. And then they get this, and Superman's punching people all <laughs> throughout the entire movie. It's it's just monotonous. And it forgets yeah. that it's like, yeah, you want some action in a Superman movie, obviously. But you also want that action to have a purpose.
3: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And yeah. And so, and then we get to the, the back in the fortress scene and one, another big difference here, right? The way the, the fortress stuff goes down. Um, and again, another criticism a lot of people have about, or people who defend Man of Steel. And I know, you know, my buddy Anthony's probably listening to this and he's probably uh, shaking his head. Because I'm bringing this up, but the one thing that always annoys me about people saying like, "Well, he killed them in Superman 2 right? He dropped them in the void or whatever. I'm like, "Well, I never." Even when I was a kid, I never thought that he was killing them. I always thought that there's some sort of like, it's Superman. He's not going to be killing them and then making a joke about it. Even as a kid, my thought was always, "Well, obviously they're being trapped somewhere or something," is what made yeah. the most sense to me.
3: Or frozen or something somehow. You know what I mean? Because they dropped. And- him in like a-
1: and in the um, in the international cuts, they do have a scene where Arctic police are taking the the depowered Kryptonian village uh, villains uh, into
3: custody. Nice. Okay. That makes sense too. And yeah, the, I, mean, I mean, completely. And that means they shot it. So, I mean, that means that mm-hmm. they, you know, were thinking that they just chose to not have to include it. But I agree. It's like, I did have a note of like, they just fall into the abyss. Or I think my note was something mm-hmm. like, Fortress of Solitude has an abyss because <laughs> they don't in which you're left wondering, but I'm with you. I never, I guess my brain, especially when I was younger, never thought death. It was not mm-hmm. really where yeah. it was. Yeah.
1: And um, another thing too, about that, that again, this comes back to that idea we were talking about at the beginning with how they get out of the phantom zone. If you have a phantom zone, a device that can access the phantom zone in the fortress This solves Mm -hmm. the problem, too. You send them back to the Phantom Zone, then.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Now, the other big change, obviously, when they end the movie, and both the Donner cut and the Lester cut, they end in different ways. So as I mentioned before, the Donner cut, the original intent, when they were doing Superman 1 and Superman 2 was... And they're filming them back to back, is they were gonna have Superman turning going back in time at the end of Superman 2. It was not gonna be the ending for Superman 1. Then they changed their minds, and because they had to rush Superman 1 out, they're like, Well, we have this ending filmed, let's use it here, and then we'll figure out something different from Superman 2. Then uh Donner gets fired, Lester comes in, he knows he's not gonna be using the time travel one, so he instead comes up with the idea of the amnesia kiss to make Lois forget that Clark is Superman which I hate so much. I hate it on so many different levels. Not the least of which is because then we have Superman returns, which we'll talk about in a minute, but the, yeah. but in this one, what they do is Donner says, well, cause he had the, he talked about this in, um, in, I watched like when the Donner cut came out, there was like a documentary making of, and Donner talked about his dilemma here where he's like, well, I can use the the ending from I can reuse the ending from Superman the movie, or which was the original intent, or I can use Lester's version, which was the the kiss. And he said he was actually leaning towards the kiss because he did not want to reuse the same ending. But Tom sure. Makowitz said to him, And this is it. Show it is dumbass fucking thinking. But Tom Makowicz says the problem with that scene isn't the amnesia. The problem with that scene is. It should it's it's that it's Clark kissing Lois instead of Superman. He said Superman should Clark should never kiss Lois. Superman should be the only one who kisses Lois. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it's it's very much Silver Age thinking. Right? It's not at all, it totally not reflected in the modern day. So I it it's just completely bizarre to me that that was the argument that won Donner over. But so that's why he decided to use the time travel ending what do you think about those two endings before I go into what I think should have been done?
3: Well, I'm, I, you're, you're the one who's the much more creative mind and writer. So I'm eager to hear what you have as a pitch uh, sort of for the alternate that fixes both. Uh, Cause I don't like either. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm someone who, a, I obviously don't love the idea of like reusing the same, uh, how are you reusing the same ending? B, uh, <laughs> the the sort of the I've grown too much, and we talked about this when I we cover the mm-hmm. first Superman on my because like I know too much to know that that's just not how time works like it's so yeah, yeah. that's hard to to grasp too, and then you've got the layer of you know if you like the Donner cut and you want that to sort of be your official canon, uh, then this would obviously go completely against uh, Superman yeah. Returns, which is my sort of favorite version in my head of uh, the third movie, I guess. So yeah, uh, but having said all of that. I am loathsome of the kiss. Like, it is... If you, Superman mythology is that, like, one of the few things that beats him is magic. And I don't know how else to explain said kiss besides magic. I would have rather they had him, like, pull out a friggin' neuralizer and say it's a Kryptonian machine, you know what I mean, that wipes her memory. Okay, fine. Great. It's sci-fi. We're sticking to it. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's an alien. There was some kind of thing there. They just don't bother to explain it, and then... You're almost like left catching up, being like, "Wait, what? Why does she not? Mm-hmm. Is it the kiss did that? What? I don't understand. Why would the kiss do that?" And the... yeah, I hate it. I hate it. So, the, what do you got? So, what I th-
1: where I think it should have ended is like after he goes back and he drops her off in her apartment, and then he flies off, and she makes some like "there he goes" or something like that, and that's the perfect ending because you pull out and you see like Metrop- this metropolis skyline and everything, and then you cut to the fly the the flyover. Perfect ending right there, because that is it establishes there's a new normal between her and Clark. They can't be together because he's got this commitment as Superman. And they've had this conversation where she says she's like, you know, I've um, you know, I've you know, like I've I've been worried all night and all this and all that. And it's like that's that's the perfect place to end where she's still struggling with this new knowledge she has. And they have to they want to be together, but they can't be together very similar like the ending of Spider-Man the movie, where I thought that that was a that's the perfect spot to end it, especially with what they'd had at the time access to with the footage and everything, right? Because obviously you can't film any new scenes. That right there is the perfect ending, I think. Um because then she knows, but they can't be together and it it's this new it establishes this new normal between them yeah. as, as opposed to trying to turn things back. Cause the, the time travel ending, I've got two problems with it. One problem is the fact that it it's creatively it's lazy but also it's sh- it makes Superman too powerful because it's like the whole idea is he's not supposed to that's what made it so impactful in the first movie is the fact that he was breaking that cardinal commitment because he loved Lois so much
0: hmm.
1: now he just keeps and now it's just like this this something in his bag of tricks he can pull out anytime something doesn't go right he just flies back in time
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's also the problem of Okay. okay, so you solved the problem of Lois doesn't know you're Superman now, so I guess you reverse that part. But what about the Kryptonian supervillains you still unleashed? Because you... <laughs> they're, still, they're still coming. That, that missile has still gone off, so it doesn't explain how you've dealt with that part of it. And the amnesia kiss... Well, also, another problem I have with it, it too, is because in the Donner Cut, they still keep that after the ending. After he's turned back time, he goes back to the diner. That never happened now! <laughs> the diner thing never happened because that because he went back and he stopped himself from giving up his powers to be with Lois. So now he's going up and he's humiliating this guy for no reason.
3: <laughs> You're right. And also, if they use the exact same cut, then that means that guy stood up like he knew him. Yeah!
1: <laughs> it's exactly the same. <laughs>
3: wow my brain is like oh wow it it
1: does not make any sense it just makes superman look like a bully then
3: yeah yeah wow yeah and why would you even choose to keep that in too if you made that choice like i know
1: it's (sighs) so those are the problems i have with it now the amnesia kiss it creates other problems like not you know not the least of which is the idea that it's, you know, it, it's mind rape basically. Like he's, he's, he's taking her memory. It's one thing. If Lois says, I can't deal with this. I wish I could forget or something like that. And they have a discussion about it or something like that. But for him to make that decision for her, it's sure. so creepy. It's so creepy. And it gets even worse because I'm not sure if you remember Superman four
3: parts. <laughs>
1: okay. So
3: we, covered, uh, new- we covered what's... about like a
1: year or two ago on the show. Um, uh, in some ways, it's actually better than I remember. It's actually, I think, it's better than Superman three. Actually, um, okay, it looks like shit. It looks terrible, but the the actual the actual story in it, for the most part, is a pretty decent Superman story. Uh, but one of the things I can't forgive in it is he reveals himself to Lois again, and she remembers everything. Like as soon as he appears as Superman, she remembers everything. She, I remember everything. And he talks mm. to her and he has this heart to heart with her about what he should do about, you know, the getting rid of the nukes and all that kind of stuff. And she and they have this conversation. And then he kisses her again to make her forget again. <laughs> no. oh. yes. So it it almost feels like it's establishing that, OK, anytime he wants to talk to Lois, he makes her remember and then he makes her forget. again. <laughs> it's kind of what it feels like. So it doesn't feel he goes about it so casually that it it does not feel like it's the first time he's done this.
3: Yeah, that, I mean, my brain immediately went to. I made the joke about the neuralizer from MMN in Black, but I've, like, there's a joke in those movies where it's like, how many times have you neuralized me? What does that do to a person's brain? Yeah. You're, you're, how many times have you done this to her, man? Like. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, the other problem oh, I man. have with it
1: is, is Superman Returns. Because if you look at Superman Returns as the third movie and the sequel to Superman 2, these things do not fit. These things, it it gets really, really fucking creepy then. Because now. Lois has no memory of sleeping with (laughs) Superman. So now, and then she has this baby who has superpowers, and now she's left thinking, did Superman rape me in my sleep or something? Like, what the fuck is going on here?
3: Oh my God, yes. Yeah, and I'd forgotten that was, I guess, like, my brain had not even connected those things because today was the first time I was watching Superman 2 for such a long Hmm. time. To remember the detail of like her having had her memory re- removed. Or if you want to believe it's the Donner cut, then he, you know, drew back time and they never got it on in the first exactly.
0: place.
3: <laughs> like either way. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay.
1: To reconcile <laughs> that is that Superman Returns exists in this alternate version of Superman 2 where. He was with Lois but he never told her she was he was Clark. That's the only way it makes sense. Otherwise it just does not work. It's either very creepy or not physically possible.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man, I like, I now have like layered understandings of some people's hate for Superman returns better now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it... <laughs> that that's one of the big you can go back listen i think actually i think it's one of the scp classic episodes is uh our our episode on superman return so it'll be coming out in the feed uh soon so you can hear that um but yeah that's that's a big problem with that movie the only way it works is if it exists in a if there's a separate version of superman 2 that that where he doesn't reveal he's clark but still sleeps with lois that's the only way it makes sense and is not creepy as fuck
3: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah wow
3: <laughs> I'm I'm flabbergasted. Like I am yeah. like I did this is just one of those moments where like my brain is reeling from this information trying to to process it. So mm-hmm. thank you that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you made me remember the uh the amnesia kiss, so I had to bring it up then.
3: <laughs> uh, it's fair. It's uh, fair. Okay.
1: Um is there anything else you want to say about Superman 2? Anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention?
3: Well, there's one. It does bring me back to the beginning. I was going to ask, and maybe I missed it because I'll admit I was kind of uh, having to try and take notes and do other things at the same time as I was watching today. What is with the alpha waves that Luther apparently uses to find Superman? Because I had notes of like, what? <laughs> yeah, and so dumb. <laughs> yeah, I
1: I have no idea. I mean, that's one of the things. Like that doesn't. That doesn't makes and if you have these if you can track Superman with these alpha waves, couldn't you find his apartment in Metropolis and find out that he's Clark Kent? Notice that he spends all this time at the Daily Planet and at Clark Kent's apartment. Couldn't you figure that out too? So, it it, yeah. The I've got so a one lot of those
3: issues. Really I've got a lot the- of issues with
1: Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. <laughs>
3: oh see i like parts of it i don't like this how it's written uh I, I think i enjoy his performance i actually i wasn't gonna comment too much earlier i i love the sort of lex and otis uh mm-hmm. dynamic but i think it like i love the terribleness of it if that makes any sense mm-hmm. like for its heel uh but the alpha wave thing was, i similarly thought was like okay where how mm-hmm. what is this where have we established this before how do you magically have this thing that you were able to get to you in a prison uh and then yes why would you not use it to find him in other ways and then there's mm-hmm. sort of this just like away line when they discover oh superhero powered beings are coming here and he's like oh that must be the other sources of alpha waves that i detected and then i think to myself how the fuck did you know which alpha wave source to go to <laughs> and how is it more of a powerful one that you know those fortress of solitude than there was for any one of the actual beings mm. uh you know so yeah okay i'm glad to hear it was just yeah it was terrible it was just one of those things that didn't make any sense uh, yeah, it was yeah. the hand wavy things of like ah this is a silly superhero movie people won't care about you know Literally, whether this makes yeah. any sense or not
1: <laughs> well, i mean this with like a hot air balloon and also when um they're in the fortress and and she comments that she has to go to the bathroom he's like why didn't you go before we left She's like, that was two days ago i'm like it's that's not possible that's not possible <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah uh you don't get through a frozen tundra um uh, dehydrated to the point where you wouldn't have uh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. so <laughs> um but yeah
1: the okay so i hackman's performance is good like I, i'm not gonna say he gives a bad performance just i don't like this interpretation of luther is what it, what it comes down to like i like this I mean, I like that he's he's intel he's got the intelligence, he's got the arrogance. Good, good. I like that stuff. But it's just like the the bumblingness, the the small mindedness. It's just Again, we go back to that, that first movie where his big thing is a real estate scam. And it's like, can't you think you're Lex freaking Luther. Can't you think of something a little bit more grander than just that?
3: Um And then in this movie, what's the first thing he asks for when they're like offering him power? He says I like beachfront property. Make yeah. my home Australia. You yeah. know what I mean. So yes, that. And then if you go to Kevin Spacey's portrayal in Superman Returns, what it's is the, he doing? It's he, the exact
1: he, same plot. He, it's he, the exact same plot.
3: <laughs> a, come on, man.
0: You uh, got totally uh, yeah.
1: technology, and <laughs> the best thing you can think of to do with it is to grow a crystal island. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And I like like Spacey's Luther, like, you know, Spacey himself is a is a fucking monster, obviously. But, you know, his he he was he was a good actor and his Luther is was a a version I generally liked, except when the moments when he got into a bit more hackman territory. But generally, I thought he was he did a good job. And I keep thinking, like, you know, again, going back to Smallville is that that is such a great performance. That is such a great take on that character where he's intelligent but he's got this human side to him as well. And right. I don't know if you've I don't you probably haven't watched uh Titans on uh HBO Max.
3: I have actually. Okay. Uh that is one I think I've watched all of. So So you saw the their version of Lex Luthor? Yes. I and love I am that version.
1: Yes. 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 He was smart. He was calm. He was measured. He was coldly calculating. He was menacing. He was. My, he was um Clancy Brown's version from the animated series made live action mm. that was like the mm. perfect version of Lex I loved him he was such a good version of, of that character and i so pissed that that's all we saw of him is just that one, <laughs> basically that one episode and that was it
3: yeah I was gonna say it was like basically a scene I remember being so excited and I liked the actor too and I've seen him in some other stuff with Bo- the guy who played Bosch I think right um i uh, can not but yeah Bosch, seen that actor and stuff too Anyway, I got so excited. I was like, oh my God, yes. And then you see the scene and how they're portraying him and how he is, you know, behaving and how he is acting. I'm like, this is awesome. I can't wait to see him be the big bad of this season. Joke's on me. Yeah. yeah. Spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen (laughs) Titans.
1: (laughs) Uh, And that's what I would have loved to see. And, you know, in again, going back to Superman 4, one of the things I liked about that is we see a bit more of that that classic version of Lex Luthor where he's intelligent, he's got grand plans, right? He's like, I've got access to weapons and I'm going to sell them. Perfect. Perfect. That's exactly what a Lex Luthor should be doing in that situation. And, you know, using his knowledge to create the nuclear man. The nuclear man's, you know, actual, <laughs> what he actually accomplishes in that movie aside, the idea is a good one. It's vintage Lex Luthor there. And yeah, I go back to these movies. It's just like he's, he's just so petty and insignificant especially in this movie
3: yeah yeah and it's my understanding that donner cut included more of him too because i think you know with the whole him choosing not to come back for any of the reshoots they were just like we'll have less of him in it then
1: there's more of him in it but he doesn't do anything more like it's still just like (laughs) he still has the exact same impact on the story right like no measurable impact on it like the only thing we know is that he learned that the kryptonians are coming but that's all he does. And again, if you have him be the one who releases them, that makes more sense. That creates a lot more issues. And and if we had a scene where they act where something where him and Superman actually do have to team up, you know, like Magneto and the X-Men in the second movie, that would have been so much better. Where we see them having to work together. Something like that yeah. would have been would have been great. So it's there's a lot of missed opportunities with this movie.
3: Yeah, I agree. I agree. But that um, seems to be the theme of the movie I picked for this podcast. So.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. I mean, w- at least with Jumper, right? Jumper had a had a lot of missed opportunities. RIPD was just had a good <laughs> and that was about it.
3: <laughs> oh man. Oh.
1: But this one I, right. I did enjoy watching this one that I, more than I did the other ones. Um uh, but it's just I think a lot of it is like I've been thinking about this stuff about Superman two for years. So it feels good to finally be able to get it out on the show.
3: Yeah, I can understand that for sure. And I appreciate, uh, I'm glad we ended up not planning it, but perfectly having one of us watch the Donner cut and one of us didn't. That works out really well.
1: It worked out nice. Yeah, I think it would have been a a very different conversation if we had both watched the same version and then we couldn't compare notes like this. So I think it was also, it was great to have this comparison to go back and forth between the two because I haven't seen the Lester cut in 20 years, maybe it's been a while.
3: I mean, if you have the superior one and you don't yeah. have the less, why would you, you know? Yeah. Slightly
1: superior, but when I watch it, like I watch the whole thing this time, but usually when I watch the Donner cut, after he flies away from Lois's apartment, that's when I stop it, because that's where it should yeah. end.
3: <laughs> I love that, that you're just like editing the movie for yourself as you watch it.
1: <laughs> now, from what I understand, there is a fan edit out there that does go with that ending or something similar so there is a fan edit out there of superman 2 if you look for it you could probably find a version that you know deals with some of these issues we've talked about here okay yeah um okay um nick why don't you tell people where they can find your stuff
3: yeah uh so you can find me on socials at at Nick Loves Movies, that's N I C L U V Love. Uh, you can find me and, as we said, my much more exciting co-host, uh, my wife Danielle, on In Love with Movies. That's our podcast. You can find it on any uh, major sort of uh, podcasting platform, or also on um, YouTube. If you want to search for us, it's In Love, comma with Movies, is the full list of the the uh, podcast name. And if you want to find us on socials to then see when we post those episodes, it's at the letter N love with movies all spelled out at in love with movies all spelled out so all right uh yeah we movies so
1: (laughs) and uh we are superhero cinephiles.com is the website we are super cinema pod on instagram and blue sky um we're technically still on on twitter i refuse to call it x but basically (laughs) i just it's just all automated on there it's just whatever i post on the uh, on the scheduling app and gets posted on there. Otherwise, I'm not really on, on Twitter. So find me on Blue Sky. That's where I am most of the time these days. Um, also, uh, by the time this records, hopefully it has finished funding. Uh, but if not, I've got my uh, Paragons of Earth comic book that is uh, crowdfunding at the time we post this. It is crowdfundernoe.com slash Paragons Comic. Um, you could also go to paragonscomic.substack.com. Uh, it, and that also links to it. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Even if it's, um, the campaign is supposed to go until the, until November 1st, but if it doesn't fund, we will extend it. And even if it has funded, you could still go and buy the comic. If you haven't, they should all be available at crowdfunder.com slash Paragon's Comic. Again, that link will be in the show notes. Guys, thanks so much for listening. It's good to be back after a long hiatus. And um, yep, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Superhero Cinephiles is produced by me, Percival Constantine, with the support of Zencaster. The show is created by myself and the late, great Derek Ferguson, our host Emeritus. Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com to listen to past episodes or find out how you can be a guest yourself. Support the show by visiting our advertiser links or click the Buy Me a Coffee link on the website to make a one-time donation. You can also support us by visiting Crowdfunder.com slash ParagonsComic. That's Crowdfunder with no E dot com slash paragons comic and help support my superhero comic book paragons of earth we are super cinema pod on both instagram and blue sky so please be sure to follow us we'd also appreciate if you could rate and review the show on apple podcasts and share us with your friends